I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, our premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Russia is assisting China to build a missile attack early warning system, which is a crucial part of strategic deterrence, and only Russia and the U.S. currently have such a system. Welcome to the Stratford Podcast. I'm Eugene Chalsovsky, Stratford Senior Eurasia Analyst. Today, I'm joined by Artyom Lukin, an associate professor at the School of Regional and International Studies at the Far Eastern Federal University in Vladivostok, Russia. Artyom is an expert on Russian foreign policy issues, especially pertaining to the Asia-Pacific region. Thank you for joining us, Artyom. Uh, thank you, Eugen. So first off, I, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, on the broader relationship between Russia and China. So this has been a, a key topic, uh, especially in, that has emerged in recent years, you know, with uh, the U.S. and Russia having their standoff ever since the, the Euromaidan uh, uprising in, in Ukraine. We've seen that relationship really sour over the last few years due to sanctions and military buildups. At the same time, we've seen now uh, the U.S. and China have their own tensions over things like trade and, and Hong Kong and the South China Sea. So these are things that have kind of brought Russia and China closer together in a way. I know you have a pretty interesting perspective from where you're based in Vladivostok. So maybe you can talk about how you see the the relationship between Russia and China from your perspective. Okay, thank you, Eugene. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Uh, yes, um, I do have some thoughts um, on the Russia-China relationship. And Vladivostok is really a great place to observe, uh, you know, this uh, relationship and, you know, <laughs> remember that until relatively recently, the place uh, where I live, uh, it was it had been actually part um, of the Qing Chinese Empire until um, 1860, uh, when uh, the Russian Empire and uh, Qing Empire signed a border treaty, uh, which ceded to Russia a huge chunk of uh, Chinese territory in what is now uh, the Russian Far East, uh, even though this uh, border issue uh, was uh, finally uh, settled uh, by uh, by uh, Russia-China agreements two decades ago, still uh, some people in Russia believe that, you know, uh, at some point, uh, the Chinese could, you know, uh, remember uh, about uh, that and uh, present, you know, some claims. Uh, hopefully, it will not happen. Uh, but, but still, so it, it gives you, you know, some <laughs> some background to how complex uh, this relationship between Russia and China is. But uh, having said that. Uh, at, at, at the moment, uh, the relationship is really strong. It's really strong, and uh, I would even call it a quasi-alliance. Both Moscow and Beijing, they have officially denied that uh, they have an alliance relationship or that they are seeking an alliance relationship. You know, from time to time, uh, Russian leaders and Vladimir Putin uh, himself 
they do refer to the bilateral uh, relationship uh, as an alliance. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Vladimir Putin, speaking at the uh, Valdai Club session in front of an international audience, he uh, characterized the Russia-China relationship as a uh, as an allied relationship uh, of a multifaceted uh, cooperation. Uh, it was not the first time he called uh, this relationship an alliance. A few years ago, uh, meeting with Chinese Premier Li Keqiang, he he also characterized the Russia-China relationship as uh, as one between natural allies and natural partners. And I'm sure that uh, Russian leaders certainly uh, do it do it on purpose. Uh, they want to send a message that Russia is uh, ready to embrace China more and more. And uh, this is message both to China and uh, and to the West. And yes, we understand. I mean, we uh, in Russia we understand that many uh, many in the West take the Russia-China relationship kind of skeptically. Uh, they believe that, you know, this relationship is a is a is an axis of convenience. It's quite shaky and it's uh, not going to to last long. Uh, but even in the West, uh, as uh, as we can see, there is this growing recognition of the potency of, of this uh, Russia-China uh, axis. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think these uh, observers, uh, they are quite right. Uh, uh, the problem is they identify <laughs> the problem uh, of, of this Russia-China quasi-alliance, but those experts and policymakers in the West, even those who recognize this uh, quasi-alliance, they uh, don't actually do anything to prevent its further consolidation. So that's a problem from, from my point of view. Right. So it's interesting that you bring up the West because in the broader context, I mean, we've seen the Russia-China relationship grow in recent years just as the relationship between the U.S. and Russia has gotten much worse uh, ever since 2014 with the the conflict in Ukraine and the ensuing sanctions and military buildups. And then more recently, we've seen the trade frictions between the U.S. and China. So there there has been this kind of push, an, an alliance of convenience, if you will, um, both for, for economic reasons and also for broader strategic reasons uh, that have pushed Russia and China together. And, and as you say, it's a, a quasi-alliance of sorts. But I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on what can upend that relationship or how far can that really go, whether you're talking from a, a military security perspective or from an economic perspective? Where do you see that going in the coming years and what do you think can really uh, stop or accelerate that relationship? I am convinced that how far this uh, relationship, this strategic relationship between uh, Moscow and Beijing uh, advances it uh, almost totally depends, you know, on Washington, because the main uh, driving force uh, behind this uh, quasi-alliance or strategic uh, axis or entente, uh, whichever uh, you name it, the main reason for that, it's a very fundamental reason. It's about uh, the most elementary law of international relations, the law of the balance of power. China and Russia uh, see the U.S. as the preponderant and threatening force 
in international politics, at least threatening to themselves. And so to counteract uh, this threatening hegemony uh, of the U.S. as they see it, they are coming together and uh, unless and until uh, they stop perceiving the U.S. as the main threat, the movement uh, towards a quasi-alliance or probably a true alliance, this movement will continue. So again, it's totally up to Washington. And uh, Washington needs uh, to do either of two things. Uh, Washington either needs to improve its uh, relations, to normalize its relations with Moscow or Beijing, or to normalize uh, relations with both. And unfortunately, those options, uh, as far as I can see it, they are not seriously, they're not being seriously considered by Washington. It seems like a hostile atmosphere will continue both both between uh, Moscow and Washington and between Beijing and Washington. Uh, I think it's going to continue well into the future. And the consequences and implications of this are going to be, you know, quite dangerous for, for everyone. We'll get back to the conversation on Russia and China with Artyom in just a minute. Uh, But first, I wanted to chat with you about Stratfor Worldview. If you like the content of today's discussion, Stratfor Worldview is chock full of geopolitical content on topics like the great power competition between Russia, China, and the U.S., and what that competition means for the rest of the world. To subscribe to Stratfor Worldview, please visit stratfor.com slash subscribe. Now back to the studio. And I'm curious, outside of the the U.S. position, are there any things that you see in the bilateral relationship between Russia and China that could serve as as points of friction in the future? I mean, the countries do share a long border with each other, and you are very close to that border. You you read reports, and you know you hear things about some problems or some potential issues in overlapping spheres of influence, for example, in Central Asia, where China has become increasingly active economically, potentially getting more of a security presence in in the region. This is a place where Russia has historically, and and especially in more recent history, been the the kind of preeminent power. Uh, And then more emerging theaters like the Arctic, you know, that's, that's an area where we can see more activity on the part of China perhaps in conjunction with Russia, perhaps uh, in, in more uh, of a contentious relationship, and then in areas where, where you are in the Far East. I mean, are, are there any things there that you can see outside of the U.S. position that can really uh, bubble up to become problems with between Russia and China? Yes, of course, there are problems, some problems between Russia and China, uh, as there are inevitably always problems, you know, uh, between any pair any diet of uh, major, major neighboring powers. So that's inevitable. The important thing is whether those uh, differences and problems and disagreements, whether uh, they are manageable, whether they are kept uh, under control. And uh, the thing is that between Russia and China right now, They are kept under control. They are being managed and uh, they are not going to disrupt the relationship. And referring to 
to, to the specific geographic areas that you have mentioned. Well, Central Asia is certainly a region where uh, China and uh, Russia, you know, have overlapping and sometimes not completely, you know, identical uh, interests. And uh, Western observers have long predicted that Moscow and Beijing would come into conflict over Central Asia, but that's not happening. We just don't see any uh, serious clash between Russia and China in, in Central Asia. So, uh, And it seems there is a tacit understanding that Russia continues to play uh, the role of the main political and security leader in Central Asia, while uh, Beijing is playing the role of economic, uh, you know, leader in Central Asia, and Moscow seems to be content. Moscow is not very much concerned about China's role uh, in Central Asia, if only for the reason that uh, the two main crucial states, at least crucial for Russia in Central Asia, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, they're not going to uh, become part of Chinese sphere of influence because they're very Sinophobic. Uh, they're Muslim Turkic states. Uh, they have had traditionally very hostile relations with Han Chinese. So if only for this reason, uh, they're going to stay in the Russian sphere of influence. I'm convinced about that. Speaking of the Arctic, yes, there has been uh, a lot of talk about, you know, Chinese penetration of the Arctic and uh, about Russia's, you know, concerns. But again, uh, I just don't see it uh, happening. In fact, Russia is inviting China to get involved more in the Arctic. Uh, for, for a few years already, Moscow has been proposing to China to join Russian projects in the Arctic, like the development of the Northern Sea Route, because Russia does have uh, this unrivaled access to the Arctic, but Russia doesn't have the cash, and uh, huge volumes of cash are needed to develop the Northern Sea Route and to launch any large-scale resource extraction projects in the Arctic, like oil and gas. And China has been generally receptive to those proposals by Russia, and we have seen a number of projects, Russian-controlled projects in the Arctic, like Yamal LNG plant and now Arctic 2 LNG plant and some others, where China has really been investing uh, in Russian projects on, in the Arctic. And just uh, a few weeks ago, when Chinese Premier Li Keqiang uh, visited Moscow, uh, China announced uh, that it would uh, grant Russia a loan to construct uh, ice-breaking tankers we constructed in Russia and which would you know, transport uh, liquefied natural gas from Russia's Arctic LNG plants to, to China. So we are seeing uh, actually cooperation rather than uh, competition between Russia and China in the Arctic. And uh, speaking of the Russian Far East, and of course, uh, I am myself <laughs> based in the Russian Far East, uh, frankly, there are many myths, uh, many stereotypes about the Russian Far East in China. So just yesterday, uh, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal. Yes, it's a very respectable newspaper, but uh, even 
such decent newspapers, they very often carry uh, outright, you know, uh, incorrect things about China and uh, the Russian threats. For example, in this article, they claim that there are 300,000, you know, Chinese uh, migrants in the Russian Far East who have leased from Russia millions and millions of acres of arable land. So, guys, just do show me those hundreds of thousands of Chinese. I actually don't see them here. Uh, and <laughs> They're not your neighbors. You don't see them all you know, walking down the street. Yeah, no, neither in Vladivostok nor in agricultural areas. And I do live here. So that's just one example of how this Chinese threat, Chinese demographic threat to the Russian Far East, uh, how it often gets exaggerated uh, in the Western press, and sometimes even in, in the Western, you know, uh, academic uh, literature. Uh, so, uh, frankly speaking, I, I don't think uh, the Chinese are interested in, you know, settling in the Russian forest just because it's uh, quite cold here and the climate is not very hospitable and the Chinese, as all, you know, normal people, they just like the Americans, they tend to to to, to want to live uh, in the south, uh, not uh, no, 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 not in frigid areas of, of Russian Siberia and the Russian Far East. Uh, okay, so there are many uh, again stereotypes, a uh, number of myths uh, about the Russia-China relationship, uh, but I think uh, it's uh, it's quite strong uh, right now. And another important point to make is that. You know, uh, the Russian youngsters, uh, the Russian youngsters, and I'm a professor at university and I do interact a lot with the youngsters. And uh, at least among the Russian youngsters, uh, I don't see uh, I don't see uh, a lot of uh, a lot of a perception that China is a threat. Rather, uh, the opposite is true. Uh, most uh, people uh, in Russia, at least uh at least the young age and the middle age group, they see China either in neutral terms or they see China as an opportunity for for, for Russia, for, for trade and investment. And it's also important that many of the Russians, again, especially among the younger uh, uh, among the younger groups, they really admire Chinese achievements uh, in economy, uh, in uh, Technology, uh, digital, uh, digital technology, uh, especially. So they kind of look up to China as the prime example of successful economic and technological development. So whereas the Chinese, uh, 70 years ago, uh, they uh, saw the Soviet Union as the example to emulate, to follow. Now it has been reversed. You know, it's curious, but it's uh, it's uh, it's a fact. So many Russians now they just you know uh, they just admire China. They uh, want to be like China, at least you know in terms of economic and uh, technological development. That's quite interesting. That's that is very interesting indeed. But I'm curious from the economic standpoint. I mean, you mentioned some of the investments that China has had, especially in the Arctic and some energy projects. I know that the power of Siberia, a, a quite large natural gas pipeline, is supposed to come online, mm-hmm. uh, directly linking Russia and China by the end of this year. 
Um, but th- there's always the question is to what extent can that economic relationship go? Because I know that trade has uh, increased, I think, to over $100 billion last year, probably going to be even more this year. Um, but it's still, I think, the, the the economic relationship between the two countries still pales in comparison to the uh, economic ties between China and the U- and the U.S., despite all of the trade frictions, right? And then there's always the question of the Belt and Road Initiative, which Russia is a part of. I, I know they've talked about um, cooperating in that uh, in that sphere and in linking up uh, Central Asia, Russia as well to Europe playing these important transit countries. But you have to look at then the Eurasian Economic Union, you know, Russia's premier economic bloc, obviously very different from the Belt and Road Initiative, which is more about connectivity, whereas Eurasian Union is more exclusive and, and internal, um, linking trade, uh, Russian trade with, with the Central Asian countries and some Eastern European countries as well. Do you see a, a, a certain level of compatibility or are there hard limits to how far those economic ties between Russia and China can go? Uh, yeah, uh, speaking uh, of the relationship between the Russia-led uh, EU, uh, the Eurasian Economic Union, and uh, uh, the China-led uh, the Belt and, Belt and Road Initiative, uh, in 2015, uh, when Xi Jinping uh, uh, visited Moscow, there was this agreement uh, by Putin and Xi Jinping to link up, to uh, integrate, to connect uh, the EU, uh, the Eurasian uh, Union, and the Belt and Road uh, Initiative. Well, uh, frankly speaking, uh, uh, we have seen uh, relatively little uh, concrete progress on this link-up. Uh, but uh, uh, as you mentioned yourself, it's a really difficult task because they're just different beasts. Uh, the EU is an institution, while uh, while the BRI is a very vaguely defined uh, connectivity initiative. But uh, the important thing, and I already mentioned uh, mentioned about it. We do not see any uh, conflict. Uh, we do not see any, you know, serious tensions between the Eurasian Economic Union and uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. In Central Asia, you know, the relationship is getting along quite, quite okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the trade uh, between uh, Russia and China it's uh, it's increasing. Uh, yes, it it cannot be compared uh, in scale to to the China U.S. trade, but uh, I think it would be naive to to expect uh, the Russia China trade, you know, rival uh, the 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 U.S. China trade just because the U.S. and China are the two biggest economies in the world. So it's natural for them right. to have you know the biggest volume of trade and. Russia, uh, I think it's uh, by its GDP, uh, it's uh, frankly speaking, it's not <laughs> among the biggest economies in the world. Uh, and it's important that, you know, China's share uh, in, uh, uh, in, in Russia's external trade is growing. That's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, but uh, we should also remember that uh, in certain uh, important aspect, aspects, China's dependence, uh, economic, geoeconomic dependence on Russia, it's, it's also rising. 
and Russia is already the number one uh, oil supplier uh, to China. In 2016, Russia uh, displaced uh, Saudi Arabia as China's top supply of crude. And as you mentioned, uh, in December, just just a couple of months from now, uh, this huge natural gas pipeline, uh, the power of Siberia pipeline, will start streaming natural gas into uh, into China. And Putin pledged uh, that Russia is ready to increase uh, the volumes of gas uh, supplies to, to China. And so, I mean that uh, as we see the rise in uh, geoeconomic tensions and geopolitical tensions between China and the U.S., China, uh, Beijing will be uh, ever more interested in uh, the economic relationship with Russia because Russia provides provides the most obvious alternative as a reliable provider of essential commodities. So what happens happens if, uh, for example, if China and the U.S. have have an open conflict uh, 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 the most, you know, uh, very a very likely scenario in this case is that the U.S. and its allies will impose a naval blockade uh, on uh, on China, cutting China's access to uh, overseas natural commodities. So, in this case, China China would inevitably turn to overland supplies of natural commodities like oil and gas. And you know, grain and iron ore. So, if only for this reason, uh, Russia's geoeconomic importance for, uh, for for China is growing. And uh, this soybeans thing, we uh, actually had this Eastern Economic Forum in Russia uh, in early September. And uh, you know, the only thing the Chinese, <laughs> basically, the only thing the Chinese were talking about uh, at, at this uh, forum uh, in Vladivostok, it was soybeans. They were asking, so sell us more soybeans. We would take any amounts of soybeans. <laughs> Please do sell us more soybeans. So that's another example of how China is interested in Russia. Yes, this economic relationship is asymmetric. Russia is selling to China only mostly commodities and a little bit of weapons. But, you know, China cannot exist without commodities. And speaking of weapons, it's kind of difficult for China, uh, at least currently, to replace some types of Russian-made weapons. So that's another example of Chinese dependence on Russia. So I wouldn't portray uh, this economic relationship as as one-sided asymmetric dependence of Russia on China. It's much more complex than that. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to the economic ties, you alluded to it, but there's growing security ties as well, right? I mean, with I think it was just a few months ago that there was the first joint long-range air patrol between Russia and China, which skirted uh, near South Korean and, and Japanese territory. And that really raised a lot of eyebrows um, in terms of, well, how far can this military cooperation grow? I know that there's there's still some some tensions and some issues there over how far 
either country really is willing to go in in their military alignment. Obviously, they don't want to set off too many alarm bells, but there are some joint interests in terms of counterterrorism cooperation, um, in terms of of joint exercises, whether air or land or sea, and that's something that I think we can expect to increase probably in the in the coming years. What do you think? Uh, yeah, Eugene, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, speaking uh, of the major areas of uh, of the Russia uh, China cooperation, you know, economic, uh, politically, uh, political, diplomatic, uh, technological, and military, I think it's it's the military area uh, where uh, China-Russian uh, relationship has seen the most advanced progress. And uh, this advancement has really been surprising, not only you know, to outside observers, but frankly speaking, I was myself surprised. For example, when I heard the news about you know, Russia and China performing this uh, strategic bomber joint patrol over the Sea of Japan and the East China Sea just, just a few months ago. That was really unprecedented. And uh, a few weeks later, Russia uh, and China joined together in a large-scale military drill in Russia, center 2019 uh, exercise. And a year before... China participated in another strategic drill uh, in Russia. It was in the Russian Far East, Vostok 2018 exercise. And, you know, it's curious that uh, this Vostok exercise used to be uh, designed uh, uh, against China. Uh, so under the Soviet Union, it was it was about responding to, to the China threat. But now Russia invites China to take part in, in this kind of exercise. And just a couple of weeks ago, Putin made a statement, a public statement, which was really, uh, which was really an eye-opener for many, that Russia is assisting China to build a missile attack early warning system, which is uh, a very uh, important uh, system, which is a crucial part of uh, strategic deterrence. And only Russia and the U.S. currently have su- such a system which uh, gives you a warning uh, about an incoming uh, missile attack. So it's a hugely sensitive area of cooperation because if you cooperate uh, on things like that, it, it means that you're ready to give your partner an insight into your capabilities and into your vulnerabilities and strategic intentions. And we can see that Russia and China are already doing it. Russia and China have advanced quite far in the domain of a military strategic cooperation, and it's actually anyone's guess how far still uh, it could go. I believe that it could advance much further than that, and probably we could reach uh, a point uh, when we could speak of a true uh, military alliance uh, between Russia and China. Probably it might happen, so if the current trend uh, assists, uh, a Russia-China military alliance could materialize maybe in uh, five or seven years. Probably it will not be a NATO-like formal alliance with Article 5 and stuff, 
but for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes, it uh, it will be a military strategic alignment to be reckoned with. And American military commanders, which is important, we have seen reports about that, uh, they are already concerned that uh, the U.S. does not have the capabilities to deal simultaneously with a Russian military challenge in Europe and Chinese military challenge uh, in the Asia-Pacific. If, for example, China attacks Taiwan, and at the same time Russia does something in Eastern Europe or in the Baltics, uh, what would the U.S. do? Well, that's certainly a big question from the U.S. strategic perspective moving forward as both Russia and China factor into this great power competition, which we've seen only intensify in the, the past few years and one I think will only accelerate um, in, in its intensity in the coming years. But Artyom, unfortunately, we ha- we'll have to leave it there. There's so much more yes. that we can talk about um, with, within this theme. It's obviously hugely important with geopolitical implications around the world. But well, let's leave it there for now. And uh, Artyom, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you, Eugene. That was Artyom Lukin, an associate professor at the School of Regional and International Studies at the Far Eastern Federal University in Vladivostok. We'll have more details about the Russia-China relationship and the great power competition in our show notes. If you're interested in learning more about Stratfor Worldview, our premier publication on global geopolitics and world events, be sure to visit worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. I'm Eugene Chalsovsky. Thanks for listening.